Good morning. Welcome to the last part in this series, Travel Light. I hope you've enjoyed this series. Um, on the awakening, I'll tell you what, the reason we're getting you started so early is um, when you get your book and you turn to the middle, um, finding out, if you're going to commit to 21 days of fasting and seeking God, I mean, you really need to kind of prepare your mind for that because that's a long time. Um, I've actually been preparing for this fast probably for about three weeks, and I've just now determined what I'm going to do. Um, I'm actually going to do a liquid, the, the liquid fast. And you might say, what's a liquid fast? It's in those pages that we're asking you to read. Or what's a Daniel fast? It's in these pages. And there's so many different ways we can approach this, but I really want the whole church to be involved in this. And when we say everybody grab a book, um, it's going to affect your life so much, what you write in your book and what you do in your groups and everything. It's real important to get a book. And, in, and with the books, to, the way I look at it, we're talking about revolution, revolutionizing your life spiritually. How many would really like an awakening with the Lord? You'd like to hit 2020. Maybe you felt a little bit cold or indifferent. I really believe this, that God has put this on my heart, that this fast is so important. There's going to be an awakening in people's hearts like we've never imagined. I really believe that. And so, um, so we're, we're trying to make things, I, I, we're taking extra time this year because I want to get full impact and I want to get you guys completely ready. But when you get these cards, when you get these uh, bookmarks, the reason we made two of them is you start with this book in the middle about planning your fast but you're gonna need these bookmarks because when you actually start the fast when you actually start the fast you'll go to day one and you'll put a bookmark back there but every day you're gonna be looking at man I committed 21 days to this I'm committed to my small group it, you're gonna be every day seeing man this is the commitment I'm making to my spiritual life and then you're reading your devotions, then you get over here, and it says, now it's time to go to chapter 1 and read pages 1 through 4. You can take your other bookmark and go to the front of your book, and you can use that. And then you're sitting here looking at every day, man, what I want God to do in my life through this fast. What I want to happen in my life. And you're going to be finding out that you'll not only start getting that now, you'll start filling that up through this fast, and you'll probably even turn it over to write on it. So that's kind of the reason of everybody getting a personal book. And hey, seriously, you can even get these books used online. You can get them used. You could get them three bucks. So anybody that says, well, I don't have the money for that, you do have the money for that. Everybody, please get a book. Please get a book. Please prepare your heart for God to do something amazing. I want to hit 2020. I want to hit 2020 full-blown, amen? So a little, I just wanted to, uh, not that Carmen didn't do a good job, she did a good job on that, but I wanted you to hear my heart on it as well, and why I've chosen this, and why we're doing it. So anyway, I just wanted to emphasize that a little bit more. Well, we're really at an interesting part of the year, because we're closing down the 219, and we're getting ready to step into, I believe, an amazing year. An amazing 220. And you know, it's natural at this time of the season that we all start reflecting. We start looking back. And you know, some people are like with 2019, they're like, man, it was an amazing year. Loved it. 
A lot of good things happen, and it's good thoughts. Some of you are coming out of 219, and you're like, man, I just want to put 219 behind me, and I want to press into 220. But we know that it's a time where we're reflecting, and we're looking at that, and, and so um, we know God has something in store. And we've been doing this series about called Traveling Light. And we started with this series saying, man, we're going to let go of some stuff. And then we went in, we said we got to let go of distraction. Then we said we got to let go of bitterness. And then uh, last time I preached, we talked about letting go of control. The things, how we want to keep in control of things. And today we're going to talk about letting go of your past. So it's a perfect time to say, man, we can let go. Everybody say let go. We can let go of stuff in 219 if we need to. And it's time to press into 220. I want to ask you. Is, is there ever something that you've ever done that people just won't let you live down? Anything you've ever done that people just won't let you live down? One thing that I did one time, when I was 12, my dad stuck me on a 70-60 Alice Chalmers tractor with a 25-foot disc, which I know you guys have no earthly idea what any of that is. But anyway, dad said, hey, Brian, uh, I'm disking in the field. I'm 12 years old, and I'm thinking, man, I'm the man. I'm driving this powerful tractor 180 horse tractor I'm really enjoying this I'm going through the field and dad says Brian when you get to the irrigator stay away from the irrigator stay way away from it we, we have to move it anyway so you can disc under it stay away from the irrigator okay 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 well man I kept thinking man I'm getting control I'm doing good at this I'm really doing good at this drive and I kept inching a little bit closer and a little bit closer and then I thought I can weave inside of these towers with the irrigator and I was doing that and all of a sudden boom the disc hits the wheel of the irrigator and I'm not kidding I was driving that tractor and it was like throw you through the window it like stopped me and the tractor even died and so I, 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 I started the tractor back up and I stuck it in reverse and pulled it out of there and I kept back and forth and uh, pulled the irrigator down about $2,500 worth of damage. Get up, get, I get up to the farmhouse, and my dad said to the hired hand, the hired hand came up to dad and said, hey, does that irrigator look like it's leaning a little bit? And, you know, it does. And Morse, go down and take a look at that. Brian, come here. You didn't hit the irrigator, did you? No, I did not hit the irrigator. And I went in and hid inside behind mama's skirt. I'm a mama's boy. <laughs> but anyway, I cannot live that down. I can't live that down. I can't live down uh, being called jailbird at, at school because I was in suspension so many times. We've got things in the family, which I am going to share something. We have something that anybody in our family, if I say blue fuzz, everybody in our family goes nuts. And... I don't care if you give me a million dollars, I'm not ever going to tell you what blue fuzz means. But our whole family, there's somebody that did something in our family they will never live down. And then I've got a friend, actually, in this church. One Sunday, I hope she's in here so um, I can get a big kick out of her expense. Oh, she is. I mean, I won't. Oh, she's even laughing, so everybody knows who it is now. Uh, we were tearing down Christmas decorations one time and talking with some friends and something 
happen while tearing down Christmas decorations. I am a fifth grader. I'm very immature. Um, my wife always says, you need to grow up. I still haven't grown up. I will not let this person live down something that happened while we were putting Christmas decorations away at Church on the Rock. You don't even know what blue fuzz means. <laughs> so, sometimes there's, hey, we all got something we can't live down. How, okay, that's in a funny way. That's in a funny way. The funny thing is about it, our past is it doesn't always stay in our past right. But sometimes when they're funny, we're okay with it. But sometimes we know that sometimes our past aren't funny. How many know what I'm talking about? They're not funny. Maybe you had a problem with a temper. You said some things to a family member, some people that, man, you're still paying for it today. It's still bothering the relationship. Maybe it's a reoccurring cycle where you fall back into that familiar sin where you're saying, I won't, I won't, I won't, I won't, I won't. And we did. Are y'all with me? Whatever it might be. Maybe it's, maybe it's a betrayal in a relationship. You were betrayed or, they, or you betrayed somebody else. And no matter, matter how hard you try to move forward, you still feel like you can't shut the door to that past. Or maybe it's an expectation you had of yourself. Or where you thought you might be or your marriage might be or, or your business might be. And man, you get into that 51 years old where I'm at and you start looking back and you're like, wow, I may not be exactly where I want to be. I may not, my relationships, that my business, whatever it is. But how many say that the truth is we can't always change our past and take care of the things of our past but I want to talk about how God, we can't really undo things in the past, but we can let God write our future. And how many knows that the book is not finished yet? That there's many chapters to be written. So I believe, I, I really was concentrating, what do we do? How on your first thing, your insert, is letting go of your past means this. Like I've thought about how I've had to let go of my mistakes or things that I've been hurt or I've hurt others. I think I wanted to be like, what action steps can I give some people today that really do work? And the first one, guys, is we have to understand the love of God. Seriously, if you're going to come out of something, if you're going to be able to close the door, if there's like this door that, that, that it's like a dark mist and you, there's everything you try to do, you try to shut it and you can't. There's only way that you can do that is you have to understand the love of God. You know, I can identify with Peter a lot. Because Peter at the Last Supper, um, he was like, uh, they were all sitting around and Jesus was giving them the bread and the, and the drink and all this. And, and uh, Jesus said, hey, Peter, Satan's desire to have you that he might sift you with wheat. But I prayed for you that your faith wouldn't fail. And Peter said, I will never deny you. I, I will never do anything to keep from falling you. I, I'm not going to fail you, God. I love you, Jesus. There's nothing that could ever make it happen where I would deny you. Jesus said, man, the cock's going to crow three times and you're going to deny, is going to crow and you're going to deny me three times. So we all know the story where Jesus was at the place where Jesus was being on trial and all that. And, and Peter was like at the fire and watching Jesus and, and all that that was happening to him. And somebody came up and said, hey, aren't you, didn't you run with Jesus? No, I didn't run with Jesus. 
Then somebody else came up and said, hey, didn't you run with Jesus? No, I didn't run with Jesus. And then I think it was a teenage girl came up and said, didn't you run with Jesus? Didn't you run with Jesus? And he, and he said, I didn't run with Jesus. And he cursed the young lady. He cursed the young lady with, with profanity, and he got up and ran away. But right before he got up and ran away, Jesus, with all those thousands of hundreds of people, Jesus fixed his eyes on Peter, and he looked at him right in his eyeball. And Peter's heart just, because he remembered what Jesus had done. So this is a failure that Peter had. Brothers and sisters, we buy, you never start out to fail. You never start out to hurt someone. Really, really, seriously, seriously. Do, do any of us set out to hurt anybody? Most of the time we hurt somebody we didn't mean to. Or, or it wasn't our intentions. I mean, if it is, you've got more problems than I thought. But, but to me, we never intentionally... When I heard somebody I didn't mean to, it's, 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 it, but, but you, you get into that. But, but, but Jesus, when, when Peter did this, and Jesus gave him the look, it made Peter remind him, think of the guilt that he had, and the shame that he had, and the regret, and he wished he could take it back. Well, you know what's interesting is when Jesus rose from the dead, the first thing he said to people is he said, go gather my disciples, and then he said this, and Peter. Go get my disciples and Peter. Because he wanted him to know that even in his failure, how much he meant to him. We have to understand God's love when we're trying to shut the door to our past. And even when Peter came to Jesus and, and, and they finally all got together, there was this uh, time where Jesus asked him three times. He said, Peter, do you love me? Peter's like, I don't think he could have looked at him. Lord, you know it. The first time he said, yes, I love you. I'll never deny you. But this time he's like, Peter, do you love me? Lord, do you know I love you? Feed my sheep. I still have value in you, Peter. Feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know I love you. Feed my lambs. I still have value in you, Peter. I haven't given up on you. Feed my lambs. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, I love you. Feed my sheep. Peter, I have value. You know, sometimes when I've looked at that, I thought, man, that's pretty, pretty mean or insensitive maybe of Christ to bring that up three times. He was trying to get on with his life. But I don't see that as mean and insensitive of Christ. I see it as, hey, I want to thoroughly talk through what happened and we're going to learn from this mistake and we're going and 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 i want you to know that that what you did it's okay and that i've forgiven for you that i still have value in you but i want you to know that this is okay i think the repetition was to let him know that it was okay the other thing you guys think about it when we used to when i used to fall down and scrape up our knees and stuff back in our day I mean, it was wash it out, and you're like, ah, oh, Peter, do you love me? Washing it out, ouch, that hurts. Of course I love you. And in my day, it was iodine. It was iodine. Mom putting the iodine on. And guys, blowing on it doesn't help. It doesn't help. And they're blowing on it. But that, oh, 
cleaning it out, putting the iodine and putting the Band-Aid on, three steps. Guys, I think the street, three steps was a healing process that, of Peter coming out of something that he had done in his past that God let him know that his future was before him. So we see this in, in Peter. And, uh, but I, I, I believe to come out of your past, you have to understand the love of God. Now here's a scripture I want everybody to, you've heard me say this many times, and when I put it up, it's 1 John 4, 16 through 19. Even when we put that up, you're going to say, you've said, you say this one all the time. You know why I say it all the time? Because to me, if you're trying to come out of something, it takes repetition. This particular scripture, I have been on it for years. I've been on it for years to where I can finally say, I know, I know, I know that God loves me. How many knows that God is loving? Oh, we know God loves you. God loves you. Hey, God loves you. He's God is love. God loves you. But guys, most people don't believe the love of God. They, they don't believe, especially when it comes to mistakes and failures and things we're trying to come out of. But we have to get to a point where we know and we believe that God's love that he has for us. God is love, and he that dwelleth in love dwells in God and God in him. So the key to coming out of your past is dwelling, meditating, thinking about God's love, thinking about his mercy, thinking about his kindness. Over and above, you have to think about God's kindness instead of your hang-up. You have to think about God's mercy instead of how stupid you feel you are. You have to think about his forbearance and he's long-suffering with you. And guys, here's the reason we can't explain and, and receive and know God's love is because we don't see it acted out in society. Society, hey, God fully knows us and fully loves us. Think about that. How many of you have something that you're hiding? I believe everybody has parts in their life or things in their past or, or, or stuff that you're not real proud of that you hide it. And the reason you hide it, because some of you, some of us, you, you, you've had to lead a life where you couldn't even tell a best friend or even your wife. You've had to lead such a life of isolation. And so we carry that over because the reason we do that is we say, if they fully know who I am, and they fully know where I've been and what I've done, they won't love me anymore. They can't love me through my hang-ups. They can't love me through my mistakes. And brothers and sisters, the only way you can come out of your past is when you fully know and believe the love that God has for you. He knows every single thing about you and still loves you. He, he knows it all. You can't hide from him. And when we get a hold of that love, I even wondered sometimes when I was learning the love of God, I even wondered sometimes if mistakes were happening more rapidly and happening more on a continual basis because the Lord could the Lord can handle my mistakes God doesn't love me conditionally God doesn't love me by my performance 
And God, I, I even wondered when I was learning the love of God, if, if, if mistakes even increased to, there, to where there would be more opportunity where I would find myself at the feet of Jesus saying, man, you are so kind. You're so merciful. You are so long-suffering. You are so gentle. You are, you are so faithful. But brothers and sisters, I, I, I really believe the key, the key to coming out of stuff, to coming out of reoccurring sin, to come out of regret, to coming out of shame, to coming out of, of, of stuff, to where you really can press on to something new is the first thing is we have to know God's love and, that, and then dwell in it. What, what, I, what I always do is I dwell in my, I dwell in my mistakes. I dwell in how, if, if, I, if I made a failure as a parent, if I made a failure as a parent, I would sit and dwell on that failure to where it would just eat me like cancer. Uh, when, when one of my kids was real little, when one of my kids was real little, um, um, I, I, was really, I was really sick, laying in bed one day. And, and one of my kids kept coming in and, 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 and doing stuff. And I flew my foot. I said, I need you to get out. I don't feel good. And I threw my foot around and caught him on. I wasn't trying to kick him, but I caught him on the side. And it hurt him. It hurt him. That boy, I, I felt so bad about that. And, and I was talking to him and stuff. I felt so horrible about that. That that, that boy stood in front of me and did 105 jumping jacks to prove to me that I didn't hurt, hurt him. And every time he did that, I knew it hurt him. But he was trying to make dad feel better. That, that still gets me to this day. But I think that we dwell. We just dwell on our past. We, we dwell on it. And, and I think that's why Jesus, like, like even now you say, well, you're bringing it up now. You're bringing it up now. The reason I'm bringing it up now is because I think that many have not had a thorough clean to where Jesus asked three times, Peter, do you love me? It's almost like I'm burying it and I'm trying to move on, but you're really not. Sometimes it takes rubbing it with the water, putting the iodine on, and the band-aid. Sometimes it takes, Peter, do you love me? Let's talk this through. God talks me through things. God will talk you through things. So, so that's dwelling in that love. He that dwells in God and God in him. Herein, we got to get to a point where our love is made perfect that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. You know, even in a relationship, when love is made perfect is, um, let's take for instance Tim here. Tim is a good friend of mine. Tim uh, Anderson and Linda. Do you ever get with your friends and say stuff you probably shouldn't say and maybe let your guard down a little further than you should let your guard down anybody do that besides me 
Anybody go home after you've been with somebody and you're like, I wished I wouldn't have said that. I wished I wouldn't have acted that way. I wished I wouldn't have let my guard down like that. And that may be something that preachers do more. I don't know. Is that something that preachers do? Is that something everybody does? Seriously? Okay. Well, man, I can, I mean, I'm looking at John back there. Um, I mean, we've had council meetings. Because I, I, uh, me and John, wave John at everybody. Uh, me, me and John, John is the guy, I, I'm the guy that runs through the minefield and gets to the other side and I've lost an arm and, and a leg, but I made it! Okay? John is the type that steps and figures out where the landmines are. But you need those kind of people on your council. You need both, both kinds of people. Well, there's times, there's times, and also in council, there's times where, where, where I may be emotional or upset about something that I let things go and say stuff I shouldn't have said. And with friendships, you do the same thing. I'm getting to where... Like with it, John, say I just blew it with John in a council meeting. Or I just blew it with Tim. We went out to eat and I just blew it. I'm getting, Oliver, the other day when we went out and ate breakfast, I felt like I blew it with Oliver on stuff I said to him. Because I, I, I like was bringing some, some things to Oliver that I wanted him to, look, to, to maybe look at. And, and stuff and and there went a couple days where I'd sent Oliver text and I tried to call him and I didn't get anything back guess where my mind goes what's wrong with you you you, you heard Oliver you, you were trying to put him down you were trying to and he he thinks that too and and now you and then what happens is you have all the garbage of your past because I've pastored 33 years to where you're like, well, here goes another. We're going to have fallen out with Oliver. But what that is, is that is a pastor that's not been made perfect in love. Are you all with me today? When I'm made perfect in love with God, there's no fear. And when the enemy comes and tells me everything that I am, and a lot of it's probably true. On the day when, when herein, that when and the day of judgment, when the enemy's coming on that day of judgment, because as he is, so is we, so am I in this world. We can get to a point to where you're condemning yourself, others are condemning you, things are happening to you, but you're safe and secure because you finally got a hold of the love of God. But then I think it moves to relationships. And I told Oliver the other day, I said, Oliver, he's like, do what, Pastor? And I said, Oliver, I really apologize for. He said, You better stop right now. You better not be apologizing. I needed to hear what you said. I always want to hear. My mind twisted that whole thing to where I was living in torment because I wasn't made perfect in love. Same thing with Tim. I mean, you can. So to me, and coming out of our past and, 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 and being able to, I think there has to be a security 
in God's love for us, and I also think there has to be a security with the people around us that we can get to a place where there's perfect love. Spouse, husband and wife, to me, we need to work at and, and try to establish between us perfect love between husband and wife to where we don't live in fear. Honey, do you love me? Honey, do you love me? Honey, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you care about me? Why do we ask that? Because we're not made perfect in that love yet. But I, 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 believe, I, I believe that. I think one of the ways we have to know the love of God, He fully loves us, He fully knows me, and He fully loves me. Don't believe the lie that God doesn't love you. Now I want to talk about how do I close the door to my past. How do I close the door to my past? So first thing, I'm going to give you like four things, and I am going to speed up, okay? The first thing is God's grace is greater than my sin. We have to realize, how do I shut the door of my past? i got to realize God's grace is greater than my sin. And the scripture for that is Romans 5, 17. For by one man's offense, death reigned. Death and torment reigned. For those who receive, but those who receive, everybody say receive. But to those who receive abundance of grace. Let's define grace. It took me months where I could have it in memory. It took me months to have it in memory, the definition of grace. So it doesn't bother me repeating. Because I think it probably takes, but you need to, you, it, when I say what is grace, you need to be able to fly off a definition. This is what grace is. Undeserved, unmerited, unearned. Grace is unmerited and unearned. Favor and spiritual blessing from the Lord. You need to know that. Don't just say, oh, I'm grace. Grace is greater than my sin. Grace, undeserved, unmerited, unearned. Favor and blessing from God. I can't earn it. I don't deserve it. I didn't merit it. But I have this favor. I have this love. It's, 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 it's out of my mind. That's receiving. Guys, we have to receive. Grace is something we have to receive. And a little bit further in this sermon, I even say, um, I, I even say uh, we have to give ourselves the same forgiveness that God gives us. And coming out of your past, you have to give your, first you get to a place where you know God loves you and forgives you, but then you have to get to a place where you can Give yourself the same forgiveness that God gives you. Are y'all with me? So those who receive abundance of grace and the gift of life, righteousness will reign. And that reign in the Greek is the word basilica. And basilica is like a domain and a kingdom. It's like, like when you go to another country, it's like the headquarters. That, that you have a headquarters that you will rule and you will reign. The gift of righteousness, here, here's something else that Christians need to understand, is righteousness is imparted to us, okay? Righteousness is imparted, and righteousness is talked about, and, and 
Righteousness in part is talked about all through Romans, but especially in Romans 5. But, but in part of righteousness, guys, back in the Old Testament, when, when John said, Behold the Lamb of God which takes away the sins of the world. Back in the Old Testament, they used innocent lambs, and man would put their hand, hands on the lamb and transfer their sin to an innocent lamb, and then the lamb would be slaughtered, and the person would go away free. That's called the sin offering and the burnt offering in the Old Testament. Okay? The same thing. When, when, when it says that we receive abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness. A gift is something you didn't earn. A gift is somebody gave it to you. Righteousness imparted. It talks about David when it says righteousness imparted. Hey guys, the, the law for David when he sinned with Bathsheba was stoning death by stoning but david had a glimpse through that he saw righteousness through faith and he was imparted righteousness even in the old testament he was like ahead of his time same thing happened with abraham but when we get into the new testament we have it written and we understand the new testament righteousness in moving out of your past is realizing that you do a bunch of mistakes, but God takes your mistakes as the innocent lamb of God, and he dies for it, and then he gives you abundance of grace, unmerited, undeserved, unearned spiritual favor and blessing from the Lord, and then he gives you his righteousness. It's, I call it the great transfer. So in coming out, out of your past, God's grace is greater than my sin. The second thing is you have to realize that God is not mad at you. My favorite scripture in knowing that God's not mad at you is Isaiah. Isaiah 53, Isaiah 53 is the greatest um, prophecy about Jesus. Everybody know he was wounded for my transgression, he's bruised for my iniquities, chastisement for my peace was upon his back, by his stripes I'm healed. How many knows that scripture? In Isaiah 53, that's like a prophecy about Jesus. Okay, well, right after 53 is Isaiah 54. Isaiah 54 says this. It says this. It says, um, in a burst of anger, I turn my face a little while from you. Isaiah 54, 8. But with everlasting love, I will have compassion on you, says your Redeemer. Notice it's your Redeemer. Just as I swore in the time of Noah that I would never again flood or cover the earth. Look at this. So I swear I will never again be angry. And you can take and punish it. You can say I will never again be angry with you. I'll never again be angry with you. In fact, if you read that in the original trans Hebrew, it says... That I will never be angry with you and your sins and iniquities I will remember no more. That's what it says. And then he says, and then he says this. As you saw the rainbow in Noah's day, I'm giving you a new rainbow. And that rainbow is talked about in Revelations. When it talks about, when John describes the throne of grace... He's talking about revelation. And you know what? 
it says there's a rainbow this way, this way, this way. There's a rainbow every direction over the throne of grace. And what that rainbow's saying, I'm not angry with you. God is not angry with you. That's tough when you have people around you that's always angry with you. That's tough when you were raised with a parent or a father or a mother that's always angry. That's tough when you're with an employer. Everywhere that you are in society, the only example you have is anger, 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 where you're shriveling up and scared. God says that he's, that he's established a covenant with and he's not mad at you anymore. And here's the other thing, guys. Not only is he not mad at you, um, here's the other thing you have to understand about God is you can say he's kind, he's love, he's joy. You can do all the fruits of the Spirit. But guys, listen to this. He's also just. What do you do with that? What do you do when God is mercy, but he's also fully just? So the fully just had to be taken care of. Guys, even, even th there is penalty for sin. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. Or what we earn for sin is what? What do we earn for sin? But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So, there's still death that has to be paid for sin. And that's why, brothers and sisters, we need to have such a heart of love for Jesus. Because the Bible says he was wounded for my transgressions. He was wounded for my transgressions. He was bruised for my iniquities. He was whipped. He was bruised for my sins. Hey, did Jesus do anything wrong? Then why was this happening? It was happening because of what we did wrong. All right? He was wounded for my, bruised for my iniquities. Listen to this. The chastisement for my peace was upon him. Guys, all through Scripture, all through Scripture, Every place in Scripture, because I've done it, Jesus always addresses God as Father. Always. 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 You, you, you do a word search. He always addresses God as Father. There's one time that Jesus didn't call God Father. When was it? He said, my God. My God, why have you forsaken me? Why did it get dark? Why was there the lightning? Jesus hung alone on that cross. And the just, the just requirements of the, the, the justice and the righteous requirements of God 
we're paid because he's just. But the thing is, is he paid a debt he didn't owe. And you owed a debt you couldn't pay. And you needed someone to take your sin away. Jesus took your sins. He bore the right, he, he bore the indignation and the wrath of God. To, to The reason God can say, when you see the rainbow, remember that I'll never ever be angry with you and your sins and iniquities I remember no more. The only way God can say that is because Jesus took care of it. And guys, at some point, we've got to grow in maturity as, if you guys notice, I'm being very different today preaching, because it's the home crowd. This is the home crowd here today. I'm being really raw and teaching a lot of word on purpose, okay? But um, the, 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 hey, what was I saying? Huh? This is the home crowd. Um, oh, 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 this, this. Guys, we've got to get to a point where we quit needing God to always do something for us. We, we, we got to get to a point where, 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 where we need God to make us happy and we need Him to take care of all of our problems and we need Him to, to do this and do that. At some point... We need to love him for what he did for us. We need to be motivated. How can we take sin lightly when we saw the high price he paid? To, to, to me, it's got to get to a place where we're motivated by love for what God did for me. Do, do you know, even, everybody says, well, you start preaching grace, people will sin more. You're wrong. You start, you get people a hold of grace, they'll sin less. Titus 2 even says, Titus 2 talks about, he says that grace teaches us. When you get a hold of a revelation of grace, Titus 2 says grace teaches us to deny ungodliness and wickedness and unwholesome living. When you really get a hold of grace, it'll teach you to not do it. So God's not mad at me. Um, how do I close the door in my past? No, God's greater than my sin. He's not mad at me. Here's the next one. I want to hit this one just for a minute. It's coming out of your past as you don't have to live with a guilty conscience. I've defined conscience before. To me, people are always like, the Holy Spirit convicted me. The Holy Spirit convicted me. I don't think the Holy Spirit convicts you as much as you think he does. I think your own conscience of right and wrong is what's telling you. Okay? Every one of us have it. In fact, in Romans, in Romans, Paul said, you guys have the Bible. You Jewish people, he was talking to some Jews he said, you guys have the Bible memorized. You know it word for word. And he said, these Gentiles don't even have the Bible, but by the conscience put in them, they're living it closer than you are. Paul said that. Because God put in every man a conscience of good and evil. But what happens is when you keep choosing evil 
and choosing evil and choosing evil and choosing evil, you get harder and harder and calloused and calloused more. And it gets to where the Hitlers, their consciences are seared. But at one point, Hitler's conscience wasn't seared. Now, that's an extreme case. Now let's take our case. We have to be careful to not just keep taking God's grace, God's grace, God's grace, and realize that our choice, our choice, our choice can start callousing in our heart. But, because I know the enemy, he'll say, well, I've already done that. My heart's hard and callous. If that's the case, if that's the case, been there, done that one too. That's where you lay on the floor and you just say, Lord, give me a, a, clean, uh, give me a soft heart. Have you ever had a calloused heart? You betcha. Have you ever been angry with somebody to where you were callous, you were hard? Yes. What do you do? Lay on the floor before God and ask him and ask him and ask him. And after a while, you'll start blessing, blessing people. After a while, you'll see your hearts change. I want to encourage you with this scripture. You don't have to live with a guilty conscience. When I was um, eighteen, I was in Blue Eye, Missouri. Now I was nineteen. I'd been born again about twelve months. I had done a horrible sin, and I, I, I don't mind saying it. I've said it before. I had had a relationship, a sexual relationship with my cousin's wife as an unbeliever. A 16-year-old boy. She, it it started, started going through a hay tunnel at a church outing. But it, it grew and grew and stuff like that. To where even after I was born again, I was born again for a year. I couldn't shake that. I couldn't shake that. I was so disgusted with myself. and I couldn't shake it. And I remember I was in Blue Eye, Missouri. And um, a guy named Tim Snyder was preaching. And every time there was an altar call, I'd run to the front. And would come out of my, oh God, I'm such a wretch. Man, how could I have done that? I, and I was, every time, every, every service, I would go to the, go to the front. Because back then you went to the front and prayed. I wish we did that now, where we go to the front and pray. But um, I, I was praying, and this guy came up, and this is what we call prophecy. Prophecy is when somebody tells you something, that, or word of knowledge. There's no way they knew it. Word of knowledge, they this brother comes up to me and he says, why do you come down to my altar every time there's an altar call? The Lord would say unto you, why do you come down every time and ask forgiveness for something I've already forgiven you for? Forgive yourself today and don't ever bring that up again. So that's, where, that's what I call a purging, a purging. And guys, I want you to write down this scripture. The first one is, for when they would have ceased to be offered, um, this is 10-2. Put 10-2 up on the board, please. 
For then they have ceased to be offered because that the worshipers once purged should have no more conscience of sin. Okay, what that's talking about is in the Old Testament, those priests daily would offer the goats and the pigeons and all that for the sacrifice of sins, okay? Well, what the writer in Hebrews is saying is Jesus, the Lamb of God, came and did it one time. So, so, so Jesus came and paid for sin. In the Old Testament, they kept doing it over and over and over. Every year, every day, they kept doing it. They kept offering these lambs and offering these pigeons every day, every day, every day. And Jesus said, that kind of forgiveness, you're reminded of it all the time. Because every time it keeps getting brought up. That's Old Testament. In the Old Testament, you were reminded of it over and over but in the New Testament, worshipers once purged, when Jesus came and did it, they're purged and you have no more conscious of sin, consciousness of it. What do you mean by that? I'm telling you that God can literally wipe away memories. If you've been raped, he can wipe that memory away. I, you, you name the ugliest one. You name the deepest hurt. I am telling you, you don't have to live with it being reminded, 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 reminded. Jesus isn't a goat or a lamb. He was a man. And he said when he did it, it purges our conscience. It purges it. So I, you can receive that by faith. And then here's the next one. That I, that, and I am ending with this. Hebrews 9, 14, I'm still talking about you don't have to live with a guilty conscience of your past. Then it says this, how much more shall the blood of Christ, and this is talking about the same thing where he's, he's uh, making a comparison between goats and all that in the Old Testament. And he's saying that was a shadow, that's nothing. And then he's like, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience. Say that with me. Purge my conscience. Say it again. Purge my conscience from dead works. You know what dead works is? performance you know what dead works is i serve i serve at the church um i, I bend over backwards i i i um I, I read my bible i you do all this stuff that looks good but the reason you're doing it is you're trying to calm down that acidic reaction you're trying to calm down you think, if I can perform and I can work and I can do, 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 do. Brothers and sisters, with Christ, it's not do, do, do. It's done, done, done. It's done, done, done. I, I see people trying to perform their way out of stuff. We need to fall on our face and confess our sins. The Bible says, confess your sins to God confess them and it says that, that he'll forgive you of all your unrighteousness hey like I told you this is a different service today if you have a conscience that you're condemned 
and, and there's stuff that either was done to you or you've done to others that you just can't get come out of it. I want you to square your shoulders and stand up and come forward. I want to pray with you. I'm going to believe God to heal, heal you today. Anybody want to come? That's bold. I know this is bold, but keep the music kind of down. I know that's bold. Does anybody live with a guilt, with guilt, or you are, are wrapped with memories? You don't sleep at night? Anybody else? Your consciences are going to be purged today. Anybody else? Let, let's get some people free from hurt. You don't need to, you don't have to live like this. I need you to scoot back a little bit because I'm going to come in front of you. Anybody else say, I'm living with some stuff? Make a straight line across where people can get in front and behind you and behind you. That you're doing it to yourself? Absolutely. You know, some of us, when you're dealing with this stuff, man, you sabotage your future. Anybody else? You know what? I've felt a tremendous attack while I've been preaching today. This makes it all worth it. I know I heard the right word. And people are going to get set free today. I don't care if this fits the mold of the way people want to have church nowadays. I want to see people set free. I want to see people set free. Look at, look at all these people that are being tormented. It shouldn't be this way. All right, what I want you to do, I want some faith-filled, faith-filled, loving, spirit-filled people to come up and get behind these people. Come up and get behind them. Come up and get behind them and begin to pray with them. Begin to pray with them as they are here. Begin to pray. Begin to say, God, I know your guys scoot up a little bit so people could come behind you. Come on. Scoot up a little bit. Get behind these people. Hallelujah. Begin to pray that God would break the chain. Whoever you've got your hand on. Somebody put their hand on Shauna and Dana over here. Dave, Darlene, get through there. Chad, let some of the people through here beside you.